Hey everybody, it's Eric right here from the Disco Posse Podcast. What's happening? Oh my goodness, this is such a fun show. You're really going to enjoy this. We're going to feature Erwan and Alicia Davon, who are just uh, amazing humans, people that I really had a lot of fun talking with. We talk about uh, relationships, sex, love, spirit. You're going to hear about really, really fun stuff and really in-depth discussions about how to discover yourself and each other in a relationship. But before we get to that, I want to give a huge shout out to all the amazing folks that make this show happen. Of course, our friends over at Veeam Software. That's right. Everything you need for your data protection needs. I think I should come up with a theme song for that. Anyways, the best theme song is head on over to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. You can check out all that they've got, uh, especially that they just recently announced their, their Vmon. They had a really great event, so lots of content you can take in and just get right on in and get started, especially if you're digging in on disaster recovery, business continuity, uh, cloud native with Kubernetes, you name it. They've got everything you need for your data protection needs. So go check it out. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. Oh, that's right. And don't forget, because the best thing that goes with data protection is great coffee. Well, I don't know if that actually happens, but it does work if you enjoy Diabolical Coffee. Super proud to be the co-founder of Diabolical Coffee, who not only do we have an amazing brand of coffee, it tastes so deliciously and devilishly good, but on top of that, we've got some of the best swag you've ever seen in the marketplace, including the brand new, soon-to-be-launched, Devil's Breath by Zine Rashidi. This is an incredible shirt, so you got to go check it out. Go to diabolicalcoffee.com and look, and any day now, it's going to be up. It's going to be ready. Get signed up for the newsletter, and you'll get notified. And, of course, one more quick thing before we get started. If you want to head over to velocityclosing.com, I've been really proud because there's a great ebook there that I produced called The Four-Step Guide to Delivering Extraordinary Software Demos to Help You Better Connect with People. It's meant to really up your game as far as connecting and telling stories and, and making it engaging. So much fun if you're a technical seller, technical account manager, product marketer, and there's like a ton of bonuses that go with it. Anyways, just head over. Go to velocityclosing.com and check it out. All right. This is the fun stuff. This is, like I said, Alicia and Erwan Davon. They were so fantastic. They actually run an amazing practice out of San Francisco, which has gone remote. So, oh my goodness, how do you do relationship and, and, and counseling that's normally a very physical in-person thing? Uh, we're going to hear about extended orgasm. We're going to hear about discovering each other. We're here about how to truly tap into the soul of yourself as well as into others. I was amazed by the discussion. And the video is going to be amazing when you see it because you can actually see the stuff we're talking about. But in the meantime, go check it out. This is Erwan and Alicia Davon. Hey, this is Alicia Davon. And Erwan Davon. And you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. It's neat occasionally when I get to, I'll say, step outside of the lines of like the typical guest that I have on the show. And as I've gone over the last, you know, God, at this point, 100 episodes, I saw this natural morph into, you know, real personal stories and people that were learning very much personal lessons. And that's why even the founder stories that I have on here 
mostly the important things that come out of her personal lessons. When I saw you come up as a guest option, I thought this is fantastic because I can get rid of the fluff of the founder story and we can really talk about being ourselves, being good for ourselves and good for each other. Uh, so if you want to introduce yourselves for folks that are new to you, uh, we'll of course have links uh, to, to find where you're at online and such, but let us know how people can contact you. And let's talk about Alicia and Erwan, where, uh, where your story begins. Oh, she's Boy, a star, baby. <laughs> you know, it, it begins in overseas in a land far away called France, but I came over when I was two, grew up in New York City, very tough childhood. Uh, my parents were breaking up even before I was born. They immigrated. When I was seven, my mother went back. They had a you know, really nasty divorce, and it got worse from there. I'll spare you all the details. But the point is that my, my sort of relationship blueprint, if you will, got pretty messed up early on because the model that I had, you know, wasn't, wasn't a good model, wasn't a functional model. So I was in psychoanalysis at 15 years old, multiple days a week, and it completely transformed my life. Then I went to, uh, from New York to California, took every workshop I possibly could, studied psychology, sorted myself out more. And to make a long story short, uh, eventually took all that focus, put it into romantic relationship. I you know, literally was at a cafe one day. I had this wild sex life. I was a young guy in my early 20s. I took out a piece of paper. I just started free writing. You know, what am I most interested in? And, you know, right at the top, it's women, you know, and then like right under that is sex, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm really interested in. And, uh, you know, I've been director of a yoga ashram. I'd lived in a Zen monastery, had a degree in psychology, all this stuff. And I just took all of that sort of human focus and turned it into a relational focus and a romantic relational focus. And then 15 years later, after teaching for, for those that decade and a half, Alicia came along and made it about 10 times better and brighter. And now we've got a family and a beautiful little boy. And, you know, it all turned out. In the beginning, it did not look like it was going to turn out. <laughs> yeah, no one, no one can write the first chapter until the 10th chapter. And you realize where it actually begins, there's... Like where we think the story begins is very much not where it actually begins. It's where the story picks up. I think life is like a Quentin Tarantino movie in that you really start in the middle and then you start to go backwards and find the origin story that led you to this moment. And then once you realize that, you begin to play out the back half of the movie. It's actually uh, sort of a fantastic way in which I've realized, you know, now in I've got a lot of my life that's in hindsight and I'm like, Oh, okay. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. So welcome, uh, welcome to the United States. And, uh, and I tell you another thing, like I said, that stood out in why I really enjoyed like the personal stories of everything is that like people make everything business sales, products, technologies, everything underneath it all it's a people story. And people always ask me, they're like, what's the most important book you've ever read? You know, that helped you to deal with technology. I said, easy. It's DSM-4, uh, you know, the diagnostics <laughs> of, of mental disorders. And they're like, how does they, they don't understand that. And I say, well, because you don't know how people work until you know how they break. And when you look at back on your own origin stories, 
Erwan, and you talk about this, like when you're in therapy, when you're opening up to people, you can really explore where you found your edges and then you know where they are. And it allows you to be much more exploratory now, I find anyways, like I said, too, because I, I know where my sort of personal edges are and, and it's, it's, it's tough to find those, right? You know, it, it really is getting to know oneself really is the center, really is the, the most important. And nowadays, tech and a lot of things can amplify that. It's pretty awesome. And then, Alicia, when you came along, things just sort of <laughs> blew, blew open. Well, and I'll start by saying I had pretty much the opposite childhood as Erwan did. You know, I grew up in a suburb of L.A. My parents still live in the same house that my brother and I grew up in. It was very stable and loving and predictable. And I remember the little grass hill that I would sit on outside my elementary school. My mom would pull up at the exact right time. I never had to wait. It was all like very good, right? And what I realized though, when I went off to college is that, you know, good and stable and comfortable is nice, but like, I sort of wanted something more and was wondering what else is there in life? And I was headed, Erwan mentioned his relationship blueprint, like our languaging for the patterns that kind of set you up for life unconsciously. I was headed into like a stable, I'd find a relationship, get married, have kids. And like, that would be cool. I wanted something more. I started exploring. I studied psychology in college. I got a master's degree in psychology. And by the time that I reached that master's program, I was slowly becoming obsessed with not only psychology, but sexuality and female sexuality. And like, how do we develop relationships as women? And I was basically ravenous for any information I could get on this. And I was holed up in the library at my graduate school reading and trying to figure myself out. And a friend of mine in my program said, hey, I just met this guy, his name's Erwan, and he runs this organization devoted to pleasure and relationships and sexuality. You got to meet him. So I'm like, all right, you know, this, this guy sounds pretty cool. Take me to him. I get to Erwan's house. She brings me over there. She says he's having a gathering, a class of some sort. And I walk in and it was like a scene. It was a scene that was like packed full of people. Everybody's like looking into each other's eyes, talking, connecting. There's like this ecstasy vibe in the room, you know? And I was like, I found where I want to be. So when I finished my master's, I instead, well, first grabbed onto Erwan as a boyfriend. I'm like, I need him in my life. He was rocking my world. I eventually joined his organization and started teaching with him. So that was almost 20 years ago now. Wow. Now, you know, 20 years ago, and what's interesting about the insight into yourselves and thus each other, like from the outside, it's funny, I'm, we're on camera, so for people that are seeing the video version of this, they can see it, but you're, as either of you speak, the other one is incredibly focused on the other one, right? And it's, I, I'd say that there's definitely something that 20 years in, you know, it's, it is amazing to be able to see that you are enthralled with the words, even, and the moment 
And I find, you know, while technology is fantastic and it can connect people and it can do amazing things, one of the things it can often do is mean that we do this when we're sitting next to those we love, right? And so we're staring into the phone and it's it's tough to recapture sometimes that like just looking, watching their their mouth move and, you know, and remembering what it feels like it's a very it's a it's a very instinctual thing that that we can crave and it's nice to see you know people i would say like you see like a, a 60 year old couple and they like their pinkies are hooked as they walk in the park kind of thing it's, it's so cute to watch <laughs> you know it's a it's a really good point and i appreciate you noticing that eric and you know there's a drift in the world towards distraction you know maybe it started with i don't know what you know radio tv you know you know there's a drift kind of away from the person and it's not just a technology drift it's a it's kind of a human into thought drift we can kind of lose contact with ourselves so you know just so your your audience has some practical things to do i'll tell you what we do we have four practices that we do every day and the first one is meditation we're relationship school and sex and extended orgasm and dating and flirting and all this wild stuff but you know we start our day with meditation it brings back that undistracted concentrated way of being Secondly, body practice, just simple, basic body practice. And I don't mean it has to be lifting weights or, you know, jogging three miles or something like that. It could be, you know, walking around barefoot in, in your yard, feeling the grass under your feet, something to really recreate, not recreate, but bring one back into one's body. Third thing is psychological inquiry. We do that regularly. We don't necessarily do that together every day, but we do it several times a week together. Where are you at? How do you feel? We take some time each. We kind of like dive in and we don't report stuff to each other. We really check in like how are we feeling, what's going on. We, we experientially do a deep dive into our experience together. And that kind of excavates that old relationship blueprint and brings that freshness and that newness that I really appreciate you noticing even uh, so many decades in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then the last one is sensual practice. You know, shortly before we got on your podcast, we're doing our daily sensual practice with each other. You know, I know this is a, you know, modern times kind of podcast, so maybe we'll get into that later. You know, and it's 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 amazing to have a relationship that's more turned on two decades in than it was even in the beginning. Because when this hot girl showed up at my class, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, it was great to start, you know, and it, now now it's better. It's really, it's really a blessing, but it comes from daily practice. That's my point. Yeah, and this is what uh, I, I even like, when we record this, the, the hard part about like, I love the video aspect and it's great. The downside of the video aspect is for, I've had people complain that like when people are on video calls that you're looking at the laptop, not looking in. And so it looks like you're looking away. So for like this weird thing of how to look on video is I have to look into the camera as we talk. The downside is like people are going to see it, especially in this one, because I generally do want to like, like I want to visually connect to you. And that's, that's why we're better in conversation in, in as humans when we're, 
you know, in person, it's much easier. There's a lot of nonverbal stuff that happens and you become very in tune to it. The more you do it, like as a public speaker, I learned that early. That's how people said, how do you become good at public speaking? I said, easy. I've got two fantastically good ears that I've put into practice for decades, listening to other people who are very good at it. I emulate what they do, but more importantly, I look at the reaction that every real-time moment creates, and I pivot and adjust my speech patterns and my talk track and my content based on the in-the-moment sensation that I'm getting back from the audience. It's difficult sometimes at a in a larger room, but you can still do it even if you just like pick two or three people and you like concentrate on them. So you're like literally like looking at them in the audience and they're like 10 seats back and you see them smiling and laughing and they become your kind of like collective representation of, of people. The, the reason why I say this is like when we look at a blueprint and you talk about the blueprint of a relationship, I say the blueprint is like that one person in the audience that you're like, we've got enough of our own personal experiences that you know what you like. And then you can measure this with somebody else and they react in a way that's positive. And then at that point, you can now kind of go to the wider audience and say, okay, we've got this neat idea. I want you to try the stuff out with me. And, you know, so it's, that's why I'm excited to hear about, you know, what is, how did you develop a blueprint of, of what a, a good relationship is? You know, well, for, for Alicia, it started with a good blueprint, but, you know, it, as you said, it didn't have a certain something. For me, it started with a difficult blueprint, so, it, you know, it didn't have too much. And then we put together, you know, from experience, you know, what are the stages that a relationship goes through so that people, you know, relationship is maybe the most important thing in life, you know, and people are tend to kind of wing it. So we put together uh, a blueprint of the stages of relationship. And it's exciting to have a blueprint or a map of the stages of relationship and the skills necessary to succeed in relationship because a lot of people tend to feel like, well, I just don't know what I'm doing and I, I don't know how to have a great relationship or I don't have sex skills or and that's just it. I'm just stuck with that not true. You can learn, you know, like if you, you ever, all of us went to school in some way and we sat at those desks and we listened and we wrote and we practiced things and relationship is the same thing. You can get good at it. And, you know, for example, the dating stage, you know, I wasn't very good at dating, but I was committed to being good at dating. So I made an agreement with myself and uh, I, I went out and made some kind of offer every day to a woman in the beginning just to learn. And, you know, you can imagine the amount of rejection that that I experienced, but I but I stayed with it. And, you know, one of the things I learned is that, you know, especially from a guy's point of view, showing a woman a good time like that is key. I was I was taking every possible approach. And but it, but they didn't work, you know, trying to impress and trying to, uh, you know, look good and trying to, you know, and inviting. Oh, let's hang out. Let's have coffee. Let's have dinner. Yeah. You know, it's not terrible, but it's kind of boring, you know. So showing her a good time, having fun, you know, doing things where the woman can really be turned on, you know, go ice skating, you know, let's go to a Van Gogh exhibit if she likes art, you know, not like, hey, let's hang out, mm -hmm. you know. 
and, and, and that kind of excitement. So that's a little bit of a blueprint for dating, you know, do things that are fun, you know, do things that really get you out. Then you get into the middle game of relationship and Alicia was much stronger in this part. I was stronger in the kind of dating, let's go have fun parts, you know, it's a little bit extreme. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the middle game is all about vulnerability. It's about communication and, you know, that good communication is, is being approving and telling the truth and really opening one's heart and like that. I remember the first time I told a woman I loved her, it was my college girlfriend, and, you know, I realized it and, you know, here I am, this transformational guy taking all these workshops, all this stuff. So I'm all into telling the <laughs> truth and like I'm about to tell her and it's like, I, 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 I you know, and like, I, like I couldn't get it out. I was that weak, you know, at the skills. I did get it out, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm saying is it was like, it was like traumatic to say, <laughs> you know, but that's, you know, that's part of the blueprint or what works in uh, middle game of relationship, really being vulnerable. And then you get to that sort of eternal date, we call it, or soulmate relationship part. And that's all about commitment and cherishing the person, like really seeing their value in your life, being present to that. It's really easy. People lose that, you know, a couple of decades into a relationship. They forget like, oh, this person is supremely important to me. Right. Well, the the reason why the blueprint or just like having those moments to kind of remember how we got to this moment, it's important because of like the it's just like anything, you know, when it's easy, it's easy when it's not. That's where the the real work comes in, and you really begin to test your ability to to manage things. Like when stresses are applied, you know, they especially with early relationships. Like you said, you've got the dating phase. We they call it the honeymoon phase. Everything has a honeymoon phase when everybody's like super excited, and then there's a moment, you know, that will come at some point where you're like you're sort of existing, you know, and a lot of existence occurs without as much excitement. And even more challenging is that then you have to add, you know, first time buying a house, having children, splitting your time to, you know, children and family and, and elderly family begins to get ill. And so we find ourselves very subdivided. Our careers, you know, are burgeoning in the same time when our relationships are. And so all of a sudden you've got this real sort of torn person you know, in yourself, how do we get better at like recognizing and recentering, you know, on what, what should keep us a good, like, this is a good moment and this is a good life and this is a good thing. And I got to remember that. It's a really good question. And a lot of people have challenges with this. I mean, in general, and particularly in the tech world, you know, we work with a lot of folks that are working for big tech companies and the hours are insane. And, you know, there's one student that I'm thinking of, a couple that we're working with, actually, he works for one of the big tech companies here. And he's like, they're at this place in their relationship where they've been together a bunch of years. I think they're married. And they're like, looking at buying a house and looking at having kids, but like they just realized, oh my gosh, we're not spending any time together. We're obsessed with our jobs. The chemistry isn't what it used to be. Should we even be together? You know, couples often ask that of themselves, okay? So like they 
they are fabulous people and just aren't spending the time and the energy in their relationship life. And I was working with her the other night and she's like, I just want to have more chemistry. It's like, I have all this love for my husband and I just, you know, so what we've told them to do, we talked about these practices and we have a whole video that outlines these different types of sensual practices. Some, are like kind of clothed and more nurturing and they go all the way across the spectrum to more directly sexual practices and they practice. He sits up by her side, she lays down, he puts his hands on her and she just gets to relax and feel and they're physically connected and suddenly all those like work concerns and blah, 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 poof, just disappear and there they are with each other and their connections restored having a practice daily, ideally, is what brings them back together? You know, it, you know, it's a great question. You know, taking an hour a day, at least, for your partner and your relationship, like, that alone, like, just, okay, this hour is for us, and we're just, you know, like, that alone will change things. Then, if you add in the kind of practices that Alicia's talking about, you know, simple stuff. You know, one person sits up, the other person lays down, one hand on the abdomen, one hand on the heart, a little new age music on, some incense, that kind of thing. You know, go five, 10 minutes one way, five, 10 minutes the other way, spend a few minutes talking about it afterwards, maybe have a glass of wine. You know, like you, you get back connected with the person. So, you know, maybe rule number one is give that relationship some time. And if people are dating and they haven't even gotten to those honeymoon phases and those, those kind of breakdowns, you know, give dating some time. You know, we, we support a lot of people in tech companies and like, it's awesome. They're taking the world by storm. And, uh, you know, they are working 50 hours a week, some, sometimes 60, 70 hours a week, you know, and it's all fine and good until, you know, the hair starts to get gray at 35 and, the you know the the you know they're they're not in a relationship don't even have relationship skills at 45 and you know or, and then you know god forbid there's a heart attack at 55 you know to put first things first and actually allocate some time to it and then do some actual real training and those touching practices can all go all the way from connection to uh sexual practices those dating practices can get you know there's a lot of artistry to flirting you know one of the things i learned i remember i was out i lived in berkeley at the time and i was out in one of my daily times going out you know i hadn't made an offer all day i'd been sort of putting it off it was about midnight you know and i but i was committed i'd taken all these transformational courses so i like knew all about like okay i'm gonna keep my word and all this stuff so I'm, you know out at midnight is like nobody out but i find some bar someplace and end up chatting with this woman and what i noticed is you know we're sitting on these bar stools you know we've got these big purple drinks at midnight it's like super surreal scene i think there's some kind of like japanese anime playing up in the corner and you know one minute she's looking at me and flirting with me and really turning me on and then like you know, and then the next minute she's pulling away from me and, you know, there weren't even cell phones back then. I don't know if she was reading a book or something, you know, and what I noticed is that like every time she'd pull away and read the book, I'd kind of lean in and try to get her attention. Yeah. And then every time, you know, she'd kind of put her attention on me, you know, I'd sort of get blown out and kind of overwhelmed and sort of disappear. And then the thing just petered out. 
you know, and like nothing happened. And then a couple of days, I thought about it for a couple of days. A couple of days later, I went out. I'm in conversation with another woman, I think, at a park. And, you know, she was doing the same thing. And then I noticed like, oh, I've been seeing this forever. You know, one minute that's a sort of she's coming toward you. The next minute she's going away. And I realized I just reversed what I was doing when a woman was leaning in at the park. She had this beautiful red hair and like she'd lean toward me. Then I'd lean towards her. And then when she would like, you know, get distracted by something, or I think she had a dog, like she was doing something, you know, like I'd give her space. So when she was going away, I'd give her space. And when she was coming towards me, I'd come towards her. And I noticed the more I did that, you know, people on video can see my hand. Let me do it for you know, like towards me, I'm going towards her and she's going away. I'm not chasing her and running away. This is what you don't want to do. Uh You know, when she's coming toward her. She started coming more and more towards me. It was like I was mirroring her. And I realized like, oh, I'm just starting to pay attention to a woman and what she wants and respond to her appetite. And that day just changed everything. (laughs) Yeah, women really like that. We want attention. And attention doesn't always mean more right there. It might mean less for the moment. I mean, one of the big reasons that Erwan and I are together, I think, is because he had basically mastered the skill by the time we met. And I was like, when Erwan and I met, there was that original time we met that I shared about. Then we you know, lost contact for a few months. I was in this other relationship that was going downhill. So we let that one run its course. We happened to see each other again at this workshop we ended up being at together. I was like, ooh, that guy Erwan's here, you know, and I spent the, the 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 weekend flirting with him and like making eyes at him. And then appropriately at the end, he comes right up to me and said, hey, that was so fun. Would you like to get some tea in the city? And I turned right around and I'm like, looked at him like he was crazy and said, uh, I don't know because I was scared. And then he did not miss a beat. He said, all right, when you're ready, here's my number. And he walked away and I was like, (laughs) that got my attention. And then there were a few more rounds of that over four months before I finally (laughs) realized that I was scared and being silly and I was ready to surrender for that I was so attracted. So that's our, our long way of saying, you know, <laughs> allocate some time to the dating or the relationship and flirt during that time, touch during that time, pay attention to the to the dynamic and it will accelerate like anything will accelerate that we apply ourselves to. Yeah. Well, it, this is a very interesting thing because, you know, even as you talk about this, uh, it's why I was, one of the f- most fantastic books I recommend to people is Never Split the Difference, written by Chris Voss. He talks about tactical empathy the concept of it is about negotiation. Everything in life is a negotiation. Every moment, relationships, business, it's all in a sense that, and so it's funny when you talk about this idea of it's very much like being very attentive to the reaction that you're creating and, and giving. And it's this real sort of like, like a fencing dodge thrust parry, you know, like sort of thing, but that's, it's, beautiful symmetry when it starts to come together and then you can start to recognize when the patterns change and then you can usually detect it's symptomatic of another thing and especially the longer you're together you can find those things the hardest part i think that people find is that even though they know the like 
okay, uh, you know, you're you're sitting there and Alicia's saying, okay, Air One's, you know, yeah, he's not as not leaning in as much as normal. And 10 years in, sometimes we just don't ask or we don't pause to like figure out why. And then it becomes 11 and 12 years. And then it becomes yeah. normal for Erwan to not lean in anymore. And like, there's a, I even find like people with their body, you know, I always say like, I'm, I don't even know how old I am. I'm 40 something. I, I, I honestly don't remember because it doesn't matter to me, but I've always had this thing that when I was young, you're like, you start off and people like they want to show you're working out and they want to show you're strong. And like, it's like, you have these things like guys do this, you know, goofy thing. Right. And then when we're 25 or 22, even all the guys are sitting there around the pool and they're patting their bellies that are getting bigger. Like they're proud of like, yeah, I'm aging. I'm getting like, no, we don't have to let it degrade. We don't have to change. Like we can be as energetic and as attentive to ourselves at 40, 50, 60, 70. But we at some point say, well, it's been a while since I've worked out or been a while since we've, you know, you know, been able to be intimate. It's been a while. Like, uh, that's normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's it's that phenomenon of distraction, that phenomenon of uh, our attention goes to less important things. You know, that's why, you know, it's a good point you made earlier about, you know, looking back at history and you see, you know, ooh, how things did happen. It really was a blessing that I went through all that difficulty early in life. I got a really big dose of truth, you know, the, the, that life could be that difficult. And uh, it, it taught me something, which is to be connected to the truth, to be connected to reality, you know. If there's a relationship, you know, people go through the honeymoon phase and and then things start to die down. If they're dying down, if you tell the truth about it, it makes all the difference because then you can attend to it. Right. You know, if we're distracted from it, you know, it, it doesn't happen. You know, we have a kid, you know, our sex life died down for a while after the kid and we talked about it. We addressed it and we doubled down on our practices. You know, there's a variety. It's not like we have a perfect relationship, not because it's all perfect, but because we're willing to include all the breakdowns and all the issues and all the problems. We're very upfront with each other about them and other people about them. And it, it just puts it all in the light of consciousness to be, you know, a little bit spiritual with you. It puts you, puts it all in the light of, um, awareness, you know, and that has a beautiful depth to it. You know, it has, it has a, an evolutionary intelligence, like things get addressed. They start to just function better, you know, if if somebody's 50 years old and they're getting out of health, if they just kind of be with that and feel it and tell the truth about it, there's a natural motivation to attend to that. And it's the same thing with relationship and romance. One of the reasons we pick relationship and romance as our focus to teach our students is, you know, yes, because it's fun and it's that important, but also because it's that difficult. You know, it's if we can attend to something that's that chargy, that kind of pushes our buttons that much, you know, it's easier to go to a cocktail party and talk about death and a funeral than it is to talk in explicit detail about orgasm or like, right. you know, what you're going through with your relationship partner, how much you love them or like, you know, how you, you know, you're just so pissed off the other day or, you know, whatever it is, you know, but when we can attend to life, 
with that kind of truth, that kind of heart, that kind of honesty, boy, you know, it, the, the potential of life just explodes. You know, it just, it just becomes a supernova. And, and really that human potential becomes fulfilled. And to have that kind of awareness in a relationship, that's why we call it an eternal date. You know, it's like, you know, the, the relationship kind of, you know, it's certainly taken me by storm. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, uh, you know, I said, but the reason also why I thought of the Chris Voss reference is because you talked about mirroring and that's in a very effective thing. And when we talk about engaging with people is that you begin to mirror them and you begin to connect with them. So it's funny that, you know, it seems like if you break it down, like anything in psychology and behavioral psychology, it feels a little weird when you break it down to the science of the mind and the and the emotions, because you almost feel like people always say like, well, isn't it hard? You're just like, you're seeing data in the way that people behave. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm seeing how data can align with how people behave and learning how to recognize when patterns occur and then learning patterns that I can embrace that allow me to better engage, disengage, whatever. So there... I'm curious, where does the where does the pure science sort of study that you have to do meet with the true anecdotal like lived experiences? And how do you how do you balance, especially this many years into your practices? Like when do you revisit? Okay, let's go back and kind of take take a look through the history books again and see if this is still kind of relevant. I mean, we're all, we're always inquiring. You know, I went to a math and science high school, Stuyvesant High School in Manhattan. Uh, so I have a you know math and science background. Studied a lot of that in college as well, with the psychology, you know, separate from the psychology degree, but alongside it. You know, s science and love—they're not separate. You know, we kind of have this thing like you know, you were talking about seeing patterns. Well, there's something that has you want to see those patterns, and there's something that makes those patterns. And you know, uh, I I really think Einstein said it best. He said, you know, uh, what did he what did he say? God doesn't. Uh, they were talking about randomness and non-randomness, and he he said basically, you know, God doesn't throw dice or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> there really is something alive and we all feel it and it's not separate from our behavior. You know, there is all this data and all this information and they're not really separate. And it's a very powerful human way to, to look at it, to, you know, to investigate the data and what's going on and be truthful about it that way. And it's not separate from the love and the caring and the consciousness. Uh, you know, the medical field is kind of starting to acknowledge that, wow, if people are relaxed when they have an operation, they do better, you know, um, you know, the, and, and science is starting to acknowledge that too. Oh, you know, there's something about how we perceive the experiment that has something to do with the result of the experiment. Right. right? You know, so we're always, it's one of our MOs, you know, sometimes we'll teach something about Tantra, you know, for example. Um, but we teach it in a very Western way, you know, Tantra or extended orgasm. Okay, what are the signs of orgasm? All right, involuntary contractions in this muscle, in this muscle, in the genital and, you know, engorgement and darkness around the eyes and all the rest of this kind of stuff. You know, that's not separate from the pleasure. It's not separate from the bliss. It's not separate from the love. It's just a different 
dimension of it. It's a different way of looking at it. So we're, you know, Alicia and I are always teaching that stuff, talking about that stuff, engaged in that stuff. And, you know, it's not separate from our meditation practice or our feeling of love when, you know, I have my hand on her heart and her abdomen or she has her hand on my heart, my abdomen, you know, it's, you know, we're kind of always attending to that. Yeah. And, and things are changing so fast in the world. So our work and our teaching is very dynamic, you know, in terms of statistics on hormonal differences and changes that are happening in men and women's bodies because of, you know, the distraction, the technology, the state of the world. We focus a lot on the changing world and what we teach because we need to keep up with all of that. And then at the same time, there's the constant what's here. Right. You know, I have three clients I've worked with recently. And, you know, one of them said, like, you know, I just don't have the chemistry I used to have anymore. And he was kind of a little bit in a panic and he even had some erectile issues and stuff like that. We're not doctors, but, you know, you know, we'll support people in that kind of stuff. And, you know, doing some research found out testosterone levels are down, depending on what study you look at, you know, 30 to 50% in males over, I forget what it is, the past 50 or 60 years. That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a really big deal. And it, it really does have a lot to do with people's lifestyles and what's going on. I think it also has a lot to do with, there's kind of a cultural, you know, we went from a very conservative thing about sex, rigid stereotype roles, and now there's this whole politically correct thing, which seems to be kind of anti-masculine and feminine. So like, it's a kind of like all these ways of squashing, uh, you know, sexuality and turn on and lifestyle and all the rest of that. Yeah, you know, we definitely have to look at the data. Yeah, when it's it's always funny. Like I and I I like asking the question. I love the way that you described it because and my my simple one I try to explain to people. They're like, how can you like go into like the breakdown of people to like help understand it? Doesn't it take you too far in a weird direction or whatever? And I'm like, no. I said, do you understand it? When you look at when a when a bee creates a honeycomb, it's it's perfectly hexagonal. And they're like, yeah, well, I mean, it turns out that I guess bees know something about math, right? That's a, most people think like, oh, like the bees, they know math. They know, they know geometry. And you're like, mm, no, you know, it's actually math was a result of its derivative of nature. And I said, but you know, what's even more fantastic about it. Honey. It's really great. Like <laughs> all the math out of it. Do you like honey? Beautiful. Right. Like. There's a beauty in the re in what the product is. There's nothing wrong with studying it and sometimes even just getting lost and trying to figure out how it works. But then you what you really want to come back to is, hmm, this is good honey. <laughs> the enjoyment, the experience. Yeah. And like relationships too, like when when somebody, especially when they're relational therapists, even like behavioral psychologists, like people that are deep into like helping clinical psychologists, they themselves sometimes have to step out, get mentors, go to their peers. They have to go to therapy so that they can get out of the data and digging into the mathematics of, of beekeeping so that they can relish the honey again, right? That's exactly right. You know, getting to the essence of things. It's not separate from the data or the surface. If we sort of talk spiritual talk for a minute, you've got the surface, the manifest, but there's the unmanifest. What is life? 
What is consciousness? Nobody can produce that. We don't know anything, even a tiny little thing about that, but we know we really care about it. You know, it, it, you know if, you, if you find out you have five minutes left to live, it's like all of a sudden how important life is becomes really obvious. You know, if somebody's getting divorced, all of a sudden how important their relationship partner is becomes really obvious. Or if they're undistracted, maybe on vacation, on a beach, you know, and the thoughts die down for a little bit, how beautiful life is and, <clears throat> excuse me, the water and the beach and the air even, the sensation like, wow, it's really beautiful. To, to get back to that essence. And that's why we recommend meditation, even though we're a relationship school, getting into them and having great ones and all that. We, we recommend that kind of self-contact first, you know, with a capital S. So it's, it's self, but not self like ego identity, self like with a capital S, like life, like, like spirit, what's ultimately uh, beautiful. That's, you know, that's the, that's the really important part and being a human being, it's really easy to miss that because we're so good at putting attention on stuff and doing stuff. And we become human doings instead of human beings. I remember being in the Zen monastery and, you know, sitting there and, you know, the, the first day I got there, they woke me up at four o'clock in the morning. You know, it's obscene. And like, you know, walk me into this giant dark room that's like, you know, this, this room was enormous, you know, hundreds of people in this room. And like, it's not even light out. You can literally barely see where you're going. There's just little candles around and, you know, they sit, sit me on this thing and I'm all ready to like get Zen and be super cool. So I'm sitting on this Zafu for four hours, you know, and it's terrible. And I, you know, I'm falling asleep and it's just, you know, it's like, you know, really like some kind of torture. So, you know, a little later that morning, I think around 11 a.m., you know, I told him I'm leaving. And the, the head monk, he said, well, why? And I said, well, you know, blah, 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 in the morning and I'm tired and all the rest of this kind of stuff. And he said, were you in the Zen meditation hall? And I said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then you were doing it all perfectly. And I'm like, what is, I, mean, I didn't even know, what did he mean? So, but some kind of something happened, something I couldn't explain, something I couldn't even, wasn't even aware of. I went in the next morning, all the same thing. I'm falling asleep, it's, uh, it's terrible, all the rest of this kind of stuff. And then something just clicked and it was, and I just had space, just like that enormous room. I just had space for all of the experience, the suffering and the fatigue and the body aches. And then I noticed like, oh, there's all this, consciousness and all this awareness and there's like this ineffable essence and like i am that essence and like nothing had changed right. just the essence had been revealed and it's really important to pay attention to that you know we pay attention to a lot of things but we often forget what's the most important yeah, and i think it's the it's the ability to focus and sort of that forced focus can can spur it on, which is, I guess, really in line with what we talked about, right? We're we're in a, a world of continuous distractions, and it's difficult to be able to number one get that focus, or even most importantly, direct the focus to someone, and have that be bidirectional as well. Like you, it it has to be like we are. We are. We have to focus on each other, and and that's where the communication comes in. So, I'll say this: you know, as when you speak with people, 
how often do do two people come to you? How often do does one person come to you about two people? I'm just curious, you know, not statistically, but like in general, do you find that people are self-aware or couple aware when, when they're already coming to you? It, it ranges. So very often one, if we're talking a couple, okay, very often one, one of the couple, one person will be the one to be like, we got some stuff, we need to get some help. And they are the one to come and contact us. Now, very often they can get their partner on board with it. You know, they say, hey, you know, I talked to Alicia and like, I think we should do one of these classes. And then their partner willingly comes along and like, that's great. Sometimes for whatever reason, the partner isn't on board or isn't on board yet. And then we just work with one half of the couple, which can have a big effect on the relationship also. And then of course, people who are completely single come to us. And I would say it's about 60% folks who are single come to us, about 40% in couples. And as Alicia said, I think that the the folks who are in couples, it's about 50% of that, uh, that both people come and about, uh, you know, 50%, it's, it's one of the people who come. And just to give, you know, your audience kind of a tip, if you're single and you're interested in getting into a relationship, Find somebody who's interested in growing and developing that relationship and, and willing to put that kind of focus that Eric, you just mentioned, willing to do that. You know, it's like if we switched over to tech or business for a minute, you know, if you wanted a business partner, you'd find somebody who was interested in growing the business. That's right. you know? And in relationship, people often like, they pick the person based on like their height or something. You know, it's a woman I'm working with, I, I absolutely love her. She's absolutely <laughs> adorable. but. You know, like height was a main criteria of like uh -huh. in her, and you know, like it just wasn't working. Like, you're, I, I'm not that tall. Like she's getting, <laughs> for me. Like, I, you know, like you've just excluded, you know, everybody. Like, oh you know, it, you know. So pick pick somebody who's interested in growing and developing the relationship. It's the number one variable in the success of a relationship. And if you're in a couple already, make the person who's more interested in growing and developing the relationship, the decision maker, the person in charge of that relationship and what you don't do and, and do do in that relationship, they'll lead it to a better place than the, you know, mm -hmm. than the other. Well, and in terms of being an attractive partner. I mean, there's a lot of ways to be attractive as a partner, especially as a woman, there's lots of ways, but being a person that's willing to grow and develop is the best quality. It makes you the best kind of relationship partner. Then the other stuff comes after that. I recently went to a high school uh, reunion online and, you know, it was great. And I loved seeing those people. And it was a little bit awkward because, you know, not all of them, but most of them were exactly the way they were in high school. Like they talked the same and like mm -hmm. even their, you know, their bank accounts were about the same. You know what I'm saying is, you know, I don't mean to be too crass there, but it was like, you know, they, they were basically the same. Most of them were even living in the same place. Yeah. Right. You know, growing and developing is key for everything. And in the beginning, I like that word you used. It does take some forced focus mm -hmm. in the beginning, you know, and just to 
get Zen about it again, like they have no problem within the beginning of Zen practice using a lot of force. When I lived in a Zen monastery, you know, I, we don't do this with our students, but they would hit us with sticks. This <laughs> <laughs> whole like, you know, like you, you, you'd stay awake doing your meditation when, you know, they're going to hit you with a stick if you fall asleep. Time to get Zen. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. Well, and it's, I, I, it was a movie called Gross Point Blank. And I always remember this line of my favorite. He says, I went to my high school reunion. And everybody looked exactly the same, except that they'd been stung by bees. Like they were just like all like slightly bloated versions of their exact youthful selves. It was, it, it's, it's funny that, um, you know, you, you brought up something before and I, I want to dig in a bit, if you don't mind. You talked about taking the lead in the relationship. And this is an interesting thing because obviously, especially in modern relationships, you know, we've got so much, everybody's working, everybody's raising the kids, everybody's doing side gigs, side hustles, all the stuff that's going on. When do you sort of decide who is the, the CEO and who's the COO, you know, in the continuous fluctuation in the way the relationship works nowadays? At, at one at one level, maybe the most important level, from, from our viewpoint, the woman is the CEO of the relationship because she's the one with the appetite, you know? And if it's people who are gay, the feminine person, the more feminine of the two, because, you know, if you look at those nature shows from, you know, when I was a kid, I used to watch these nature shows on public broadcast station, PBS, and the female goes into heat, right? So the female has the appetite and the romantic appetite. And of course, as guys, we get turned on and all the rest of that kind of stuff and love and all that. I'm not saying guys don't experience that, but there's a way it initiates. There's a way the woman or the feminine person is attractive and the male brings the flowers. So what she wants is really critical to the sort of glow and turn on, if you will, of the relationship. You could even say the romantic exhilaration of the relationship. You know, if, if I'm thinking of going to one restaurant, Alicia's thinking of going to another restaurant, I'm happy to go to the restaurant that she wants to go to because she's just going to be lit up and happy and turned on. And it's just a way better date that way. Yeah. So at one level, it's always the woman. But then at another level, it's the person who's willing to grow and develop more. <laughs> and what you just said, Erwan, it's an amazing opportunity for women to find their power in romantic relationship. You know, one big goal that women often have when they come to work with us, whether it's they're already in a relationship or they're single is like, I wanna find out more about what I want and I wanna have what I want in romantic relationships. So women really getting in touch with their power is a huge part of our work because we affect our romantic lives so strongly. You know, there's a woman I'm working with now who's coming out of a divorce and it's been like a year long process. And the first thing she said to me when I was like, you know, what do you want out of this? You know, this coaching relationship. She's like, I want to know where the F my desire went. Where is it? I need it. And she was like, ah, it's so important. We're set our turn on our desire, our appetite, huge assets in romantic relationship. And when Erwan was just talking about the restaurant and going to the one I want to go, he's empowered in that. You know, he's not a doormat. He's empowered. He's my hero. See, Alicia is very approving about that. So that's the other side of it. You know, the appetite has to go along with the approval. It's not like, 
you know, I'll, I'll be a little crass for a minute. It's not about being a demanding bitch and being a castrated guy. Right. right? right, right. Nowadays, very popular, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, you know, I feel like a knight in shining armor. I'm around her and, you know, I can't do anything wrong. I feel like Superman. <laughs> You know, it's funny and you, when you look to nature, there's interesting examples. One classic thing you see, like if when a dog lays back, right, and they let you rub their belly, it's the sense that you are like, they are exposing themselves to you and that you are thus sort of like becoming dominant. So like, no, they're acknowledging that they are so comfortable with their dominance that they can expose themselves freely without worry. It's actually <laughs> the complete reverse of what most people think. And it's funny when we go through these things, my my grandparents who uh, have since passed on, they're fantastic. And they were 65 years they had together, uh, you know, that, which I don't think it can exist anymore unless you get married at two. It's, it's, it's hard to find a relationship that can last 65 <laughs> years. But we sat at the table one time and my, my parents, I mean, my mom was French, so she cooked everything at like a particular way, classic French style. So my grandparents come over for Christmas dinner and my grandmother, she's like going, like the vegetables are like barely steamed, crispy, crunchy vegetables as a true sort of Parisian style. And my grandfather was from Wales where basically when you make peas, the the, the water's green and the peas aren't. That's, <laughs> that's how they do it. And she, my grandmother says at this large table, she says, well, your grandfather won't really like these vegetables. He likes his stuff much more well done and cooked. And he leans over to me and I was just like, I was seven at the time. And he says, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do 65 years, kids. You, you, you do things that are not for you. They're for both of you. And that moment taught me that sometimes it's better to just do the right thing for both of you then and like sort of it in a way it was actually kind of fun i think that he would just every time she probably made him something to eat he's like i definitely wouldn't have ordered it this way in a restaurant but you know i'm proud to be here with you because you did this for me it's beautiful Mm -hmm. you know you could really feel a lot of love in that you know, there's a way that a man surrenders to a woman and there's a way that a woman surrenders to a man. And it's very different, you know, and the, the, the false self or the ego identity, if you will, to just get into psychological talk for a minute. It kind of is just inherently selfish. But then when we get outside of that, outside of the original relationship blueprint and into a more functional uh, blueprint, surrender is really key. You know, really being able to, uh, you know, be open and, you know, a man surrenders to a woman in terms of having her appetite really drive things. And a woman surrenders to a man in a, a, a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, it's not really my <laughs> You can talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. You know, it's complimentary. It's it's difference. It's it's real diversity, not this kind of homogenous thing that's sort of passing for diversity nowadays. Yeah, well, this is and this is the the tough part when we get into the these discussions is you can almost sense sort of people's like kind of backs go up sometimes even when we talk about this in a group. And it's not meant when we talk about, you know, submissive and dominant and these things, it's not a permanent situation as in one's in chains and the other one has a whip. It's it is very much like there are moments of submission. There are moments of giving in. 
and sharing and exposing yourself. And it's like, they're little things that it's, for whatever reason, we've attached this kind of archetype that when you use this word that you are thus, you know, the female in the relationship, you must be continuous. Like, no, that's, that's not, it's not what we mean. It's 2021, for goodness sakes. We've figured it out. We've seen history live out. And I find it's it's harder because people are probably unwilling to have the necessary discussions around relationship positions that change and are 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 you know they adapt to moments because there's this sense that we're supposed to shed the archetypes that we you know, that, that led us up to Dr. Spock, who's probably not, not particularly good at child rearing as it turns out, but. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard. And that's, it's funny you should say that, Eric, because, you know, it's hard. You're right. It's hard because it's very triggering. It brings up a lot of emotion and a lot of issues. So, you know, we're relationship coaches for singles and couples, but most of the work we do with people, most of the heavy lifting is the psychological work you know those really tender issues you know most of the heavy lifting is not like hey here's a great sex position or extended orgasm is this and you can stroke this way and do that or flirt this or flirt that but dealing with that relationship blueprint and it, it was a blessing for me that mine was so difficult because i had to attend to it if it hadn't been so difficult my my focus wouldn't have been forced in that direction and some people sometimes people can get by without attending to it but it's a you know it's a it's a mistake not to attend to ourselves and our relationships definitely and so i i want to touch on a subject that's very interesting and uh if you're if you're below 18 kids turn off the radio now this is where <laughs> because one of the practices you talk about is extended orgasm and there's obviously there's a strong physical nature to a lot of the work that you do in relation, like that's it's part of a relationship. So if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to explore what that, you know, tell people, what is it when you talk about this, what does it mean to them and to them in their relationship? So what we mean when we say extended orgasm, so it's not just this like airy idea, there's, orgasm, right? Which is, I mean, in the dictionary, they call it a climax of sexual tension, which is like, okay, it's definitely more than that. You know, there's some uh, clinical signs that, that, that say, okay, this person's having an orgasm in their body, you know, including involuntary contractions in the genitals and flushing of the skin and increased heart rate. And then we've added in the sense of pleasure and release, which isn't really clinical but there's these signs of orgasm that happen in the body and extended orgasm is being able to experience all of those signs of orgasm in your body like as a state over time throughout the body versus like a 10 second experience that you've kind of clenched and reached for like a goal it's a state of letting go and having pleasure in the body. So Masters and Johnson's distinguished orgasm, the way Alicia described the clinical signs, for example, for a male, it's typically six to nine involuntary contractions in the genital. For a woman, it's typically nine to 12 
involuntary contractions in the genital. But that's achieved really by tensing up and letting go. Right. Now, what we found is that if you get to that orgasm line, that point where your genitals will involuntarily release, that level of sensitivity that Masters and Johnson's clinically defined, instead of tensing your way to it, if you get to that level of sensitivity while your body is relaxed, which is in a certain sense more difficult because it's kind of easy to build up the sensation with a lot of fast thrusting, but you're gonna go up and down. Right. But if you get to that level of sensitivity in a relaxed way, then you stay above that line. And instead of you know nine to 12 involuntary contractions, you start to have 15 and 20 and 30. And then you, you, can, then you can't even count it anymore. Then you're more measuring it in time. When we do a demonstration of extended orgasm, it's typically 20 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes long. We've done them up to three hours long. And it's much higher than a regular orgasm, obviously longer, mm -hmm. but much, much higher. And the, you know, people are like, you know, but how, how could your body withstand that? Well, your body can withstand it because you're relaxed. Right. Yeah. It's not as though you're like thrashing at your body, trying to like, it's, it's this, it, that unfortunately that's how a lot of people would think is that <clears throat> when they talk about even, you know, just the experience, you know, while there's a, a climax as they describe, you know, like it's the, as if it's, that's the moment, <clears throat> excuse me. It's the, everything that led to that moment that if you, you know, play it backwards, you realize all the other real moments that were experienced. And unfortunately we trigger it as like literally the, the second that it ends as if that was the climax, but the, the experience throughout it, if you can extend that is, is, is where it's pretty fantastic and not just, sort of this, you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with a good old fashioned animalistic, like, let's just have a lot of fun really fast, you know, but that that can be part of a strong, you know, sexual relationship. But to explore, yeah, just extending it, not rushing, then when you do have a chance to maybe have it in less time, or in a different situation, a different place, you've got that sort of, you know, muscle and, and soulful memory of, of how to achieve that. Yes. And what it means for our relationships, it means a lot. So first, I want to say something very specific. So you and listeners know what we're talking about. The extended orgasm practice is a clitoral stroking practice. It's manual stimulation women can have extended orgasm in, in their bodies, obviously, it's clitoral stroking practice. Men can also have it in their bodies. And it's a whole combination of, of course, releasing the mind and relaxing and feeling your sex center and using the technique. And it's very much the cornerstone of a relationship that gets better and better over time in terms of attraction and chemistry. So it's a really great skill to learn with yourself and your own body. Um, as a single person, you're bringing that into relationship. But if you're in one, you know, a lot of couples come to us because like the vibe isn't what it used to be. You know, it's yeah. become all about the logistics and having this sensual practice. I mean, we mentioned this couple a while ago in this conversation with you. Um, and, you know, they were trying to make a baby and they were, you know, he was busy with all these hours at his tech job and like sex was sort of becoming this stressful thing and they wanted their sex life back. 
And I will, I will never forget the look on both of their faces. You know, they came into our, our sensuality expansion program, which are, is our extended orgasm intensive, where you, you learn this stroking practice at expert level. You get to see us demonstrating it a bunch of times. We verbally coach you. And she, she sat up you know, after them practicing and us coaching them verbally and her face was like fireworks. She was like, oh my God, we have the best sex life ever. And like all of the old stuff was just out the window when they were there connected, turned on to each other. And every couple can have that. It's our body's natural state, really. And I, I guess the the important thing, if we look at you know where it all comes together, it's so much of it's it's mind, body, soul, you know, practices, attention, focus. It's like it's a continually moving machine of life, and you know, so for folks that that really want to explore themselves, and you know, this is it's not a, it's never a one and done. Like I said, like you can have that beautiful moment where you're like, "Good, this is it. This is amazing." You know, there's nothing to say that they they don't maybe need to revisit and remind themselves in a couple of years or a decade that all right, let's kind of recapture that moment again. And and I think we can we can do it. It's hard for us to. I think it's it's very hard to personally acknowledge that we are not what we were before. And it's even more difficult to acknowledge that we are not what we were before for each other. You know, and, and that's why, you know, we have coaches for every key part of our life, yoga and this and that and all the rest of it. And that's why we do what we do. So we can be that leverage point for people when people are willing to tell that truth that you just told Eric, you know, that, Okay, hey, you, you get support. You want to learn anything? The best way to learn anything is like find somebody who knows how to do that and like have them teach you. Yeah, you want to say that to people are like, you've got a you've got a running coach, you've got a cooking coach. <laughs> a big chunk of your relationship, which is not getting the coaching attention that that it really do, truly deserves. And I mean like I said, I think even if people, you know, just just if they think about it even if they're not necessarily coming to you directly, it's like if they, at least if they're having the introspective thought, they're one step closer to hopefully doing something that, that can help themselves and, and help their partner, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I, I could spend all day uh, exploring much more about this. So thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Uh, Erwan, Alicia, if folks want to get a hold of you, of course, I'll have the, the link to the website below. What's the best way if they want to engage with you? I know you've got an Instagram presence. You've obviously got the website. Your coaching practice is virtual as well. So it's not requiring that you're in the Bay Area or whatever, which is often, you know, sometimes used to be a limit, I suppose. Actually, if you don't mind, before we jump in, did that, did, you know, 18 months ago, things really changed for your practice, I imagine. How, how did you find that adaptation to a, a new way of connecting with people? Oh, it was great. It was so exciting. We were, we were already transitioning into some online teaching with our classes and our private coaching. And then when the pandemic hit, it just kind of pushed us over the edge to complete the process. So it's been amazing. You know, we're working with people from all over the world and our group classes and coaching and we're loving it. Australia is really big for some reason, I guess, because they speak English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 
That's amazing. But and that's it and that I think if anybody takes something out of the most terrible thing that we've experienced in our generation or across many generations, it's like there's amazing things that we've gotten out of this. And that is if we can maintain, we can get back to some of what we had before, but maintain this like we can connect with anybody from the world. We don't have to be limited by our physical location. We don't have to be limited by, you know, so many things, you know, that that held us back or that we thought held us back for. Now we've kind of been forced into a new way of doing things. But there are fantastic things amongst that that I hope that we kind of carry forward as as we figure out, you know, what what the next level of of normalcy looks like anyways. Yeah. So, so for those of everybody listening, for those of you who are interested in learning more about working with Erwan and me, I'm offering a free love life consultation for anybody who wants to learn more. And the way that you can set that up with me is to text me. My number is 415 3089580 it's our Erwan Devon teachings business line 4153089580 so maybe you're single and you want to learn how to land your soulmate and develop the relationship or you're in a relationship you want to bring more juice and intimacy to the situation during the consultation we'll get personal you can share with me challenges, goals, desires. I'll work with you a little bit and we'll look through all of our different programs and I'll make a suggestion as to which one would be the best. We have group online classes, Mastery of Relationships, our most popular class, private coaching, sensual training, all sorts of fun stuff. And then Eric, I'll also give you a link that people can click okay. to set session up and our website is pleasurecourse.com very cool <clears throat> well erwan alicia thank you you know this is i hope that people you know take the take the moment to 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 dial <clears throat> dial the number text the number visit the website and uh explore you know what's potential we've got so much amazing stuff inside us and let's let's recapture it rediscover and you know we can all celebrate a couple of decades where we can't stop looking at the person we're. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, this has been very fun. Really Eric. fun. Yeah, we really enjoyed talking to you. Excellent.